So I would ask you to, um, to please stand with me this morning. I haven't had you stand yet uh, for the service. And we're going to actually start in 1 Thessalonians just for two verses. So you can just stay in Revelation if you're there already. We'll get to that in just a second. But I have two verses to read from 1 Thessalonians first. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And then Revelation 21, 22 through 22, verse 5. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down through the middle of the street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. Articulate your heart through my voice to your people, helping us every day and in every way to learn to be like Christ by the work of your Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. We continue today our study in Becoming Christ-like. It's a study that uses Romans chapter 12, verse 2 as its key verse. We are not preaching from Romans today, but it is still an important part of what we talk about because we're talking about not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but becoming like Christ. We've been working on memorizing it. I don't know if anyone has made it to that point yet. But our verse goes like this, and let's all say it together. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We become Christ-like when we live in our actions what we believe in our hearts. That's our premise for our whole series. And the way that our series has worked is this. We started out in the Garden of Eden. We learned how God had created everything, how he set it all up to be perfect, to be exactly what it was meant to be, to perfectly reflect his image into the world we were created under the Imago Dei. 
And God declared all of it good. He said it was good. That's where we started. About a month later, the next Sunday, we talked about why we're not still there. <laughs> why aren't we still living in the Garden of Eden? Well, we screwed it all up. <laughs> we wanted to be like God, and when we wanted to be like God, we took control of things that we weren't meant to take control of, and so God said, oh, no, you can't be here because it's too dangerous you see if you now have this prideful thing in you this sin nature in you that you have opened the door to and then you take the from the tree of life there's no renewal possible and so he kicked us out nope not in the garden anymore and then we talked about how God spent all of humanity's time up to the birth of Christ and to now repairing that relationship. Because the largest part of being in the garden was being in relationship with God. When Adam and Eve broke fellowship, that's exactly what happened. When they disobeyed, they broke fellowship. They actually made it so that when God came, they hid. They were afraid of him. They were afraid of the one who had prior been walking with them every day in the garden. And they were afraid of him because they now knew that they had messed up. They were ashamed. Shame entered the world in that moment in the garden. But then Jesus came. And Jesus replaces shame with grace. Jesus says, if you follow me, we can rebuild that relationship. We can restore that relationship. And I will renew in you a right mind. Where you think about things the way I have designed you to think about them. Basically, he turns us into People of love. People who respond to our relationship with Jesus by sharing grace and love with those around us. Last week we talked about how that transformation kind of turns everything upside down. How we think differently. We look for ways we can be humble instead of proud. We love differently and we see others differently. And this week... We come full circle. We're right back in the garden. If you've ever been to a funeral or had the unfortunate experience of having to plan one or being a part of one, you know that our language as people for what happens after someone dies is awkward and stilted. We talk about people being in a better place. There's an entire TV show about the idea of being in the good place or the bad place. We have, uh, we've sort of cartooned it up. 
We've said, well, St. Peter's standing at the gate and people are wearing halos and wings. We talk about our people, our family, who have gone before us becoming angels, which is not at all what scripture teaches us about what heaven is like. Here's what heaven is like. Heaven is like being in the presence of God all the time. Heaven is like being in constant communication with the one who loves you most. I read once about a person who said that it is not so much a moving up when we pass on and go to heaven, but it's a moving over. And what we move over is how much we love Jesus while we were here becomes how much we enjoy spending time in his presence while we're there. That's a pretty deep yet understandable explanation of what happens immediately when we die. The only real keys we have about that have to do with what Jesus told us when he was here, what Paul says to us in a couple of brief sentences in Philippians. But what John is telling us about here is the idea of what happens at the end of all time. It's not just about what happens immediately to us when we die. Paul has told us in Philippians that when we die, we are immediately in the presence of Jesus. That's what we know to be true. Now, I was at, I told you earlier, um, I was at Moments Meadows for a Bible study this week. And we're going through the book of John as part of our Bible study. But at the end of the Bible study, I asked anybody if they had any questions. And I got some great ones. Uh, what are miracles? Uh, tell us about, um, you know, tell us um, about the differences between heaven and hell. And then someone said, I was taught that heaven is basically just going to be here on earth. That it's, um, that it's just going to be like a rebuilding of earth as it is now. And we're just going to, that's what heaven is. I sort of know where that was coming from a little bit because of where we are in our particular town. There's a lot of um, Jehovah's Witness um, folks who have very specific ideas about how things are, and some of them are a little bit Bible adjacent, maybe not quite where we are in terms of our understanding of how things are going to be. But in the Church of the Nazarene, we don't have like a specific articulated definition of what heaven looks like either because it isn't there. There isn't an understanding. And it, and it really comes down to this. What Jesus talked about was a kingdom of heaven here. A kingdom of heaven that we experience now, not after we die, but now that is part of what our responsibility is as we're transformed. Can you imagine? Let's just take a moment and think about this. Jesus told us that if we follow him and we live lives 
that follow the Beatitudes, right? In Matthew 5, he tells us about being poor in spirit. He tells us about loving our enemies. He tells us about all of these things that we can do, that if we do them, if we don't worry, and we don't have fear, and if we do all of those things, that that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And if that is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and it happens because we are transformed into Christ's image through following him by the power of the Holy Spirit, stay with me here, then it stands to reason that if everyone who followed Jesus did that to the nth degree, the world around us would be a much different place, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great if every interaction you had with someone you knew could be trusted because you knew that they were operating on the same wavelength because they too were a Jesus follower? And that when you were a Jesus follower, it meant that you lived your life like a Jesus follower, like you did what God called you to. You were peaceful and loving. Well, that's what it should be. <laughs> I, that's exactly what Christianity is supposed to be. And so when we spend a little bit too much time worrying about what happens after, we miss taking care of what happens now. Our faith isn't tell insurance. It's just not. Our faith is about abundant lives now. Our faith is about living out the kingdom of heaven now. It's about being present and loving people and loving our enemies and praying for people and living different. Not because we have a bunch of rules and regulations, but because we love. We love past our differences. And we embrace people because we love them the way Jesus loved them. Not the way we want, not the way we do, the way Jesus would. That's I mean, that sounds pretty heavenly to me. Right? Now, we have work to do, right? We have things we're supposed to be a part of. But if that's where we base, if that's our baseline for heaven, right? Is an understanding of the world the way that God intended it to be. Then, when we get there and then we're doing that with Jesus, that's going to be pretty remarkable. And I'm probably not going to really care if I have a shiny halo or if I have a wings. I was, at a, um, I was at a wake this week and I was thinking about it this message a little bit while I was talking to some people and somebody said to me, I know exactly what my friend is going to do when they see this guy. He's going to run right up to him and sock him in the nose. And I sort of got this, I sort of had a moment where I was, um, 
If that was comforting to you, okay. I'm not going to take that away from you. But man, that's like completely not. That is not what, what heaven is. And to be honest with you, we're not going to run up to anybody and sock them in the nose because our primary function, we're not going to be greeted by St. Peter, people. St. Peter's not at the gate. It's going to be Jesus. And he's going to hold out his hands and he's going to say, welcome home. You get to spend eternity with me. That's, that's what heaven is. That's what that looks like. It's going to be an amazing moment. I do believe we'll see all of our loved ones. We'll see all of the people that we wanted to see. But man, as much as I love all of the people here, as much as I love you, you are not the first one I want to see. If John, if you come running out to meet me, I'm, I might sock you in the nose because the person I want to see, the person I want to see, the person I want to see is my Jesus. The one who walked with me through all of the things that I went through here. One who transformed me, who changed me from an angry, bitter person to one who loves him and loves people. And you have no idea how big that is for me. But it's all Jesus. Then at some point at the end of time, everyone will be gathered together. And there will be judgment, and there will be all kinds of things that we'll have experienced together. But at the end, it's a garden. And it's a garden where Jesus is the light, where God is the light, where God is the temple, because we no longer have to be separated anymore. We're together. We're perfectly reflecting him just like when we're outside and the sun is shining on our faces, we're reflecting that. Because God is there. I pray today that you know that love and that grace of God. And that your understanding of the transformative power of Christ helps you see a little bit better what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It looks like a Jesus who walked with us, who came here and showed us what it looked like while he was here. My friend Michael Palmer has a... Um, something he's working on, but that he wrote about how
the way forward leads us to the garden. And I'm just going to read that to you today as we close. And then we're going to, at the conclusion, we're going to um, receive communion as we normally do. And I will end the broadcast at that point. But I want you to hear his words. Because his words are the reminder of why it is that receiving communion is a reminder of our ultimate garden destination. Receiving the elements are a reminder of how we get there, where we were, and the community that we have in the meantime here is a picture, a very tiny picture, a very tiny picture of what it will look like one day when we're all together. Here's what Michael says. It's no accident when someone asked to follow Jesus, he would respond by calling the individual to take up their cross. It's no surprise Jesus warned that to be associated with him would result in their eventual death. To follow Jesus is to accept our own death. Want the garden? Jesus asked. You've got to be willing to leave everything behind, pick up your cross, and follow me. Contrary to what we might hear around us, the way forward is becoming less. The way to life is the way of submission and surrender. The path to fulfillment is the path to self-emptying. The only way we find ourselves rooted in true life is through the pain of death. What Jesus teaches us through word and action is that in a world which constantly seeks to blame its problems on others, we must be a cruciform people. We must be people of the cross. Difficult as it may be, ours is the call to choose self-sacrifice over demanded allegiance, a road less traveled. Yet with every moment of voluntary death, every season of surrender, every winter buried in spiritual snow, or actual snow, every painful death on the cross, we find ourselves laid bare, examined fully and seen for who we are. We're embraced, forgiven, and resurrected once more. In ironic twist, we find ourselves back in the garden when we allow ourselves to stand unguarded, vulnerable, and naked without excuse. Simply us, in the hands of a loving God. It's here we find our home. The garden is only found through resurrection, and resurrection can only be achieved after we're buried in the grave. In our corner of church history, the people of God find themselves somewhere between the Garden of Gethsemane and the New Jerusalem. And it's here we are groaning for things to finally be made right. The world, even in its deep suspicion of Christianity, has a deep ache for the garden. And as bearers of the image, our job is to lead them forward into the new thing. Are we willing to go first? Will we be the ones to walk voluntarily into the grave? Do we trust in the Father? Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to remove any disordered attachments and in their place 
give us a unified heart. The good news is this garden is already taking shape in the dark corners and back alleys of a world which demands our allegiance. But they don't know that a new week has already begun, filled with new creations and divine pronouncements that it is good. Yes, a new world is forming beneath our very noses, a garden taking shape and king and kingdom about his work, reconciling, redeeming, restoring, and renewing that which was lost. Can we see it? Can you see the garden this morning? Can you see what the kingdom of heaven could look like? What it should look like? What we can do to bring it to bear? Then let us as a church together receive communion and worship at the table that brings us all together. helpers this morning. I'm just going to make this a little awkward and challenging. But I will. So we're going to do this maybe just a little bit different. I'm not going to ask you to come to me. I'm going to come to you. And um, in fact, I'm actually I'm not going to do the liturgy this morning. Since it's just us. sends us out to be the body of Christ so that those who can see us can see a glimpse of the garden.
think as many times as I accept this benediction, I would kneel for a cup. I'll ask you to stand this morning. Open your hands and your hearts to receive the blessing. May the presence of Christ that you have known today be with you through the rest of the week. May you always recognize the abundance of God's grace, love, and mercy in your life. And thankfully and joyfully spend it on those around you who need it most. May you never forget that you are loved. And because he loves you, you can love those around you. You've been to church. Now go be the church. Amen. You are dismissed.